Yo! Daniel is still confused. He doesn't understand why we're back in the middle of the week. Whose house is this? <laughs> confused. Uh, I have to commentate this because there is no, <laughs> this isn't a video format, so I have to let him know what's going on. Uh, we're y'all, back. Are gonna, y'all are going to appreciate this when we finally get the video on here. Yeah. Oh, I appreciate it now. For y'all. You know what? I'm I appreciate it now. I'm going to upload all them shits tonight. Just because y'all, yeah, man. I'm going to upload all them shits tonight. Yeah. While Terrell uploads all them shits tonight, we are back in the middle all of all them shits. He's really with them shits. <laughs> like, like, I'm uploading like shit. 30 videos tonight on YouTube. Y'all go. Man. Stock, stock full of videos. I am your <laughs> man. Oh no, how did this acting reel get into our. <laughs> <laughs> can, I, can I intro the show, please? Can I intro no, the show? No, no. <laughs> yes, intro the, intro the show, please. It, it is your man, D.R. Lewis. Not. Er, baby, it don't matter. Beginning of the week, midweek. End of the week, one, two, three, third. True. I'm just, just let it ride. I'm just let it ride. Wednesday uh, is oh the yeah. third it's, day of the week. It's the third day of the week. That's true. I can't dispute that. That's an accurate statement. It is the third day of the week. We are back. Uh, we hope that you enjoyed our, our our Monday offering. But we knew you needed a little bit of more of your boys. You can't get through the week without us. So here we are back with some more topics to discuss for your listening pleasure. I'm here. With the usual crew of suspects, Terrell Huff, Thespian Poppy, what is up, my man? Indeed, support the arts, baby. Yeah, it don't matter. Midweek, end week, next week, support them damn arts. Daniel Davidson, although he is confused, is still here. What's up? Lego, Lego. Mm. A new, a new intro. Daniel's, Daniel's spicy. Austin Brazil is also here. What up, man? Make a block. Make a blocks. And so, sometimes we have a one topic. We did a, tr- a tribute to Chadwick Boseman uh, because of his tragic passing, but sometimes uh, we have some questions from you, the people. And that's what we have for you today. And you know who controls that? You know who keeps those ears to the streets? It is my man, Daniel Davidson. He always keeps one ear to the streets. Tell him, Daniel. It is I, and I do. Yes, yes, sir. This is, this segment here is near and dear to my heart because we get a few questions from you, the fans. A bit of fan interaction here. So I want to go ahead and get it started off with the first one for today. This comes to us from, uh, let me see if I bring this name correctly, uh, Bob Stole My Ring 31. Um, from Bob, he says, greetings and salutations, gents. I would like to get everybody's take on the next hiring Steve Nash as the head ball coach, which I think is a great hire with that being uppercase. Uh, also, if y'all could touch on Stephen A's hot take about this too, I would appreciate it. Happy potting. Thank you, Bob Still My Ring 31. I like I like the greetings and sights. I like everything about it, man. I like everything about that question. It was, that question was amazing. Uh, a good dude. This was an inter. I kind of my for me guys. I don't know about y'all, but for my opinion, kind of changed on this throughout the week a little bit because when I when I first heard it, I was like, "Man, Steve Nash ain't got no experience," and that's fine. I'm not like I'm not experienced guy to that degree, uh, but I was thinking of it like Stephen A. Smith, like a black guy wasn't gonna wasn't gonna get that kind of an opportunity. And then to uh, I forget who, who Charles Barkley's credit, he actually was right on this. There actually have been some black coaches. Who have gotten this opportunity without becoming assistant coaches? Mark Jackson, uh, Doc Rivers, they both went from directly from the booth to the sidelines without being assistant coaches. And so I, I actually 
And Isaiah Thomas. On that and note. Isaiah Th- there's been a Magic Johnson, I think, did this as well. Um, not was not an assistant coach and did some head coaching and was terrible. So it's like if you're a superstar, if you're like of that higher echelon level, you can kind of skip the whole I need to become an assistant coach process. Uh, except if you're Patrick Ewing, for whatever reason. So I don't know who Patrick Ewing killed, but he did something, and they will not allow that man to become a head coach. But, but some- Yeah, he, he, he's on the list right now. Whatever list that is, I don't know, but it's only a few people, and he is on that do-not-touch list, or do-not-call list. He's on the we-make-a-lot-of-money-but-we-spend-a-lot-of-money list. Mm. If you don't know so- what I'm talking about, Google it. <laughs> so for whatever reason, he doesn't get the opportunities, but a lot of his stars – just kind of come out of retirement and just kind of do whatever they want. And they're like, you know what? I feel like being a head coach now and get hired. And so I, I kind of got to agree with Chuck on this one that the right privilege, although I do see a little bit of that still with the Steve Nash hire, it's not as prevalent as I think Stephen A. Smith was really trying to make it. Um, I do understand where Stephen A. Smith's coming from. I think people kind of overreact to the fact that no one really likes to hear the term white privilege. But I do side more so with Chuck that, you know, this is for the most part pretty even, pretty – I don't want to say meritocracy because I don't think it's meritocracy to go straight from the side, uh, straight from playing basketball to coaching it on a head coach level. But I don't, I don't think it's something that's you know necessarily falls on racial lines for the most part in the NBA. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, that's that's basically what it is. Like, I guess you could find something to nitpick on that, but I think it really comes down to um, at least on the positive side of things. And I guess there's negatives to talk about too, but. The positive side of things is that this seems to be entirely a move to please KD and probably to a lesser extent Kyrie. Um, but K- KD and Steve Nash became really close for all reports in his time with Golden State uh, briefly. So they, they met. They, they have a great relationship with each other. Steve Nash is pretty widely regarded as one of the greatest to ever do the point guard position as kind of that pure point. Um, so you would think that his, his knowledge would translate to coaching better than Jason Kidd. <laughs> But I'm not, you know, and that's not to like besmirch any of that. Yeah, but that's, I'll, that's I'll, a logic. I'll, I don't know, man. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of reasons to hate it. But on the surface, I mean, at the end of the day, it's Steve Nash. It's not like this guy is some bum. He is a well-respected person in the NBA who's been in the NBA, who's done a lot of different stuff in the NBA, a little bit of journeyman years. Like he's he's got a reputation around the league. He's not like a one and done kind of dude. And point guards make great coaches. I mean, hopefully, if you, look, if you look around the NBA and the history of the NBA, a lot of the better coaches in the NBA were at some point point guards. Um, you know, it, it's just sort of, you know, I don't know if it's the way they see the floor. I don't know if it's the way they run the offense. It's probably a little combination of a lot of things. But I, I wasn't surprised by the signing. The biggest kick I got out of the signing, honestly – was all the, the, the dumbasses that were talking about a house that Greg Popovich had had on sale for two years <laughs> was somehow some sort of nod to him going to Brooklyn to coach the Nets in his last couple of years because Sean Marks happened to be there and he used to shine up the bench for the Spurs for a few years. Connect the dots. Connect yeah, the dots, T-Hub. Yeah, Come on. Connect those dots. Uh, and I, I apparently, Greg Popovich is going to half the teams in the league. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> because he's, he's, he's selling a house that, let's be realistic, the man, you know, made that place a home with his wife, who's no longer with us, you know, due to illness. And it's like, you know, nobody could put two and two together on that, but somehow they could put him in Brooklyn, of all places. So um, I actually think, Personally, I think it's it's I think it's a good hire. I think it's a situation where if you're going to get somebody 
if you're going to take a chance on, on someone that's not been in the coaching ranks as an assistant or anything like that for any team, if you're going to take that chance, you better take it with arguably one of the best players, if not the best player in the league right now, at least from an offensive standpoint, and one of the better point guards in the league. You've got a team there that, for the most part, has all the working parts that you would need to have in the East for sure to make it to a championship. You just need to get the right coach in there to make it all come together. And who, who better than a guy that probably has a really good relationship with KD and, you know, likely has a pretty good relationship or will with uh, Kyrie Irving. If they stay healthy for a good handful of, you know, good, maybe three, four years, you could definitely see a championship up there based on well, that level of talent. So, Well, the foil to that, and I don't want to take Daniel's points, so I'm going to throw it to him after this, but the foil to that is they're in win-now mode. So I'll yeah. let Daniel touch on that. But I do want to draw attention to one thing, how out of left field this was. Steve Nash was currently a commentator for soccer overseas. <laughs> like Soccer. <laughs> He wasn't doing nothing stateside about NBA, anything like that. So for them to announce this, it was like, what the hell? Like, I didn't yeah, know that sometimes was Sometimes you awesome. got to rise up. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> I just wanted to call it how crazy that was. But yeah, well, for me, this the only thing that was surprising about this whole thing for me was kind of like Austin was saying that they decided to hire a coach that was just fresh, brand new, when it kind of seemed that the entire team organization is in win-now win mode, making those moves to get KD, you know, um, bringing the team, DeAndre Jordan. So it seems like they're trying to go for a championship every year to maximize the time they have with these guys um, because they're all on big contracts and such. Um, so to get like a brand new coach that, you know, hasn't shown the ability to actually be able to lead a team yet, and from the coaching aspect, all the on the court he did, but from coaching was a bit surprising to me. Uh, but aside from that, though, this wasn't surprising because this is something that happens a lot in the NBA to where they'll go back and find four more great players and put them into coaching roles, be it on the bench or as head coach. Um, also, of course, it's a copycat league sometimes, too. Um, so the last time we saw a super team get a brand-new coach that was, you know, not really a coach before, Steve Kerr with Golden State Warriors, it, it worked out pretty well from them. Um, other super teams, you know, when they had elevated Eric Spostra, um, he wasn't a one-on coach. Competing for a finals. So, mm -hmm. about, yeah. So, so, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. So he, he took off on that as well. So maybe they're saying, okay, we need some fresh blood in here, you know, maybe – uh, we can find a diamond or rough type deal and it lead us for the next 10, 15 years and such. Um, but also one thing that I touch on a lot of times when, when stuff like this happens is a lot of times people kind of belittle what it means to actually be a head coach for a team because they kind of just assume, okay, if you're a great player, then you know the game. If you know the game, you can, you can coach the game. But it, it takes a lot more than that to be a good head coach in the league, though, I, I believe. You have to be able to not only just know the game, but be able to, you know, communicate to the players about that. You have to be able to, to micromanage different personalities on the team. You have to be able to work with the front office and the media. So a lot of stuff goes into becoming a coach that I think a lot of these, these uh, former players turned coach miss out on when they kind of get this opportunity because they don't have the time on the bench seeing things and learning how the things should work. Um, they seem it only from one aspect of being a player. They see how coaches operate. But when you're actually on the bench, on the sideline, watching how stuff goes in those meetings when players aren't involved, you know, doing the game plans, um, talking to the front office about potential personnel moves and stuff like that, you learn more about what it means to the entire organization that can game of basketball, aside from just what goes on on the court. Um, so that's why, even though, yes, these players know what they're talking about, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be great coaches just because they were great players or they know the game or that they were point guards. 
for me, I would want to at least see them do something, you know, at least sit down and learn and show that, okay, you can, you know, learn something from another coach or be a part of a team for a while and groom them for that position. But when that happens, though, sometimes you end up losing them because someone will maybe snatch them off the bench, though. So it, it's here or there. But th this signing wasn't too surprising aside from the whole, you know, he hasn't coached before thing. And to your point about how difficult it is for coaching to, like, step in and everything like that, um, pretty famously, I think everybody would widely say nobody wants Michael Jordan to be a head coach. Probably one of the yeah. best basketball minds ever. But you know damn well he wouldn't be able to manage a team and he wouldn't be able to, like, get down there and be like, okay, do this play, do this play. And then when they're not executing, you know Michael Jordan can't handle that. Yeah. So, and if, I, if I'm being honest, I don't want him as a coach, as a GM. I, yeah, I, no, I really don't want to make too many decisions in the organization. He can own it. That's cool. But from what we've seen is his track record with, yeah. <laughs> with this squad has not been the greatest. Yeah. It's funny there. because Nash to me – No, Derek. Nash to me, the reason why I felt like it could work was because when I looked at all of the stars that he played with, um, mm -hmm. And they were all there was such a, a wide range of, of, of players and personality types that he played with, and he managed to to win, you know, regardless. So that's why I felt like you know that could be a good move. Yeah. Uh, to, to be fair. <laughs> to be fair. A week, a week. To be fair, there because I said it so many times. Uh, Daniel brought up Steve Kerr, who at least had been a GM prior, previously with Phoenix, so he kind of had um, some some experience there. And then Eric Spolstra, who not only coached Dwayne Wade the year before, but also had been a video coordinator and kind of worked his way up the ranks. So Eric Spolstra was kind of a different beast altogether there. Uh, but I, oh, I for, 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 for that, I mentioned because he was a no name, but they put yeah, him on, yeah. on the super I, team to take over. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, and I, I kind of agree with the points I was going to say, so I'm not going to belabor it too, too much. Uh, I just think that Steve Nash from a, when you look at it from a personality st standpoint, What's he going to probably likely bring to the team? It's probably going to be some type of – I don't want to say innovative because I just don't want to make him a basketball genius who can just make new offenses. I, I think we're kind of reaching the peak of what NBA offenses can be in, in this new era, and so I'm not sure how much more he can bring to the table there, but he is probably going to run a more free-flowing, Mac D'Antoni-style type of offense. That's probably what he's going to bring here. That's going to work well with K KD. It's going to work well with Kyrie Irving, who sees the game probably at least a little similarly to Steve Nash. Now, not as – assist-minded. We know Steve Nash wants to pass first. We know Kyrie's not that kind of a guy. But at least in terms of seeing what Kyrie's seeing on the floor, they'll be able to relate in that in that way. And we've seen that not a lot of coaches have been able to relate with Kyrie on that level. So maybe they're thinking that'll work. Uh, we'll see. That's that's yet to be determined. Kyrie's kind of a enigma into himself. We, we don't know what's going to work with him until it works or doesn't work. Uh, but when you compare Steve Nash to like a Ty Lue, they're definitely going to be seeing some different things in terms of what they bring to the table from their playing career. Um, you know, Ty Lue was more of a defensive-minded guy. You know, Steve Nash is going to be more of an offensive-minded guy. And I, I will say that Terrell said this was a good choice. And in my opinion, if this is what KD wants, it's the only choice. There are no other choices if this is what KD wants. And so that, that's sure. kind of the only thing I'm thinking of from that standpoint. And then, of course, I touched on the uh, – the black, the uh, black versus white of it all earlier. Um, so, oh, to specifically to that, Stephen A. I think this was a case of Stephen A. Just if you listen to the whole audio clip, he rants and rants about how this is a good decision, and then says, "But," and that's that to me just reeks of him trying to make TV. Yeah, hey, that's, that's a job. I don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame it, but at the same time, like I don't, I don't wouldn't put I, any stock in what I don't particularly like um, this kind of an issue. Um, we don't. Yeah, wanna, we don't really want to be doing TV stuff with this kind of stuff. 
Yeah, um, well, that's true too. And I appreciate Charles Barkley immediately jumping out against it. Being yeah. like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Oh, one thing I thought about too with what you just said, the um, if he does want to run like a Dan Tony type system with the offense, do they even have the pieces to run it right now in terms of having that playmaker who's going to have the ball and distribute and stuff? Because Kyrie's not that great of a passer, so he probably wouldn't be the one to do it. Um, KD, um, he can pass, but I'm not sure he's going to be like, the main ball handler going forward. So do they need to maybe make some more moves to actually get someone who can run that offense the way that they want to run it? Or um, you know, who's that's interesting. Uh, I don't know if he has this in his game, so I'm not going to definitively say they have it on their team. But you know who really impressed me from a from a score slash he can be a playmaker standpoint was Karis LeVert. Yeah. Um, he had the ball in his hands a lot, and I liked what he did with it when I was watching him play. So I don't know if maybe he can be in that role. I do agree with you that KD, at this point of his career, if this were earlier in his career, he probably could have pretty much been the primary ball handle, even though he's going to probably play the four or whatever. But at this stage, he, he doesn't want to do all that. Let's be real. That's not what he wants to do. So either they are going to have to go out and and, make, and add a couple of more pieces or maybe, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie or Karis LeVert will step into that role and we'll see how they do with it. Uh, I don't really think that's Dinwiddie's game, but I could definitely see Karis yeah. doing something like that because he was impressing me with his ability to kind of move the ball around and be the primary scorer slash playmaker for the, an S team that was depleted by the end. Yeah, we'll have to see. You ready for the next one? Let's go! All right, y'all. We're actually going to be staying on basketball here still. So this one comes from um, Scotland Pippen. So Scotland Pippen starts with, yo, love you guys. So what do you guys think about Richard Jefferson basically calling Giannis a second-tier star? I think he's crazy not to mention mention they drag LeBron into this too. Can't wait to hear the next episode. Scotland Pippen. Thank you, sir. Scottish Pippen. Yeah, I think you – Stop on in, man. Um, Go ahead. <laughs> you know what, dude? First of all, let's take a couple of things into consideration. Uh-oh. Richard Jefferson has a tendency to say asinine, stupid things. Uh-oh. He has a tendency to talk smooth out of his ass, just seemingly to get people to respond in a derogatory way to him. Um, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try and be nice and give him credit for maybe you know realizing what he's doing, but I honestly don't think he understands. I really just think this dude just doesn't know what he's talking about, and it's kind of unfortunate. That being said, the idea that Giannis Antetokounmpo is some sort of secondary guy that needs a star to play alongside in order for him to go to the next level of his career is completely and utterly asinine. Like seriously, bro. Like, seriously, you spent your entire career lucky to even be able to come off the bench most of the time, and you watched outstanding players your whole career. Your whole career. You watched guys that – you watched Jason Kidd play. You watched LeBron James, Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili. You played with these dudes, and the idea that – you don't understand as someone that was a veteran in the NBA and carved out a pretty decent career for yourself. The idea that you don't understand that Giannis Antetokounmpo is a flat out star in this league and literally needs, maybe you want to say he needs to be surrounded with other guys. Okay, fine. You're not confident in the guys he's got currently there with him. Okay. I get that. But the idea that he's not the star, the idea that he's a number two and he needs to go and be a number two to someone else that apparently is better that I can't find um, in order to get to the next level of his career is stupid. 
and I'm gonna leave it at that. That that's just dumb, bro. Yeah, how's the MVP gonna find a number one? Like, it just on the surface, it doesn't make sense. I, I do like Richard Jefferson a lot. I think he's pretty pretty hilarious overall. I think this was a case of him just trying to stir the pot. Um, I don't like Give it. Credit. I, yeah, I don't like it. I mean, it, it's one of those where it's like you can stir the pot a lot of different ways, but to flat out call a man who was single handedly destroying teams early in the season. Like, like to the point where he didn't have to play full games because he was just out there destroying you in the first half. Uh, to say that that man can't carry a basketball team, it's it's ridiculous. So I don't like that side of it. Like, if you're going to have a hot take for fun, you got to make it at least grounded in some kind of reality. You can't just say outlandish things like Giannis isn't he's, – he's the literal MVP. Like, you can't be out here saying that this man is incapable of leading a basketball team when he's out here doing these ridiculous things. It's, it's just foolish. D, uh, before you go, are you, you going to agree with them? Because <laughs> I, 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 I'm going to push back, but I, if, if you're oh, okay. going to do it first. I have, well, I have a, a little different take on it, but you might be a little more radical than I am. Um, the way I saw it, though. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I, I saw basically like Richard had a hard time trying to explain his point on it. So he actually explained it poorly. And when they brought him back on to actually clarify it, he just doubled down because I guess he got his ego hurt or something. Because uh, when he tried to explain it, he basically said that he didn't mean that they need another star, like a better star. They need someone who takes the last shots for Giannis because apparently he can't make those last second shots or free throws and such. That's so he said he they need said somebody to space They need somebody to space no, so, no, so like another star, like maybe like an all-star, not a superstar, but one that's willing to take like those big-time jump shots or, you know, get fired and make those last-minute free throws. They need that person to make it like a uh, a Kobe to Shaq or something like that or a Kyrie to LeBron type deal. Um, so that's basically what he said is what he meant. He explained it. He, his phrasing was terrible to start off with, which I think why people jumped on him. Um, but also I think he might be – I think he's wrong overall, though, because it's like he just needs a better team around him. So all yeah. these all these, these stars, superstars that eventually won champions have a really good team. So, that of course, they need more players or people to step up and it's put it in that position, then I think Giannis gets, you know, rise to the occasion and make those tough shots. He's, he's done it before. We've seen him make it in the playoffs. We've seen him in regular season and stuff, you know, like Austin was saying. People can get to run whenever he wants to. So if it comes down, you need a bucket, then he usually can get you that bucket or get fouled. Uh, free throw shooting, that's something he can work on. Um, LeBron used to miss free throw shots too, so it's not like he, you know, exactly needed another star, but he can grow into being a clutch time player or making those type of shots too. So I think it's more of a case where Richard just kind of misspoke and then for some reason he decided to double down and didn't say, oh, I'm sorry, I meant this instead. He was like, oh, yeah, like I said, he needs, he needs a, a Jordan to take those last-second shots because he can't make those shots. Um, but really, like they were saying, I think he more just needs a better team around him, which actually might actually lead him to leave Milwaukee, which we kind of thought wouldn't happen, but it now kind of seems like there might be some smoke there. Uh, you know, I think y'all are – I think y'all are right, first off, on, in some aspects of it. I think Richard Jefferson did a pretty poor job of explaining his point, um, and then he got a little rattled. Uh, you know, he was explaining it on, I think, Get Up later in the week, and he still seemed a little rattled. But I thought that that clarity actually made me say, oh, okay. I think for whatever reason, because of how binary these opinions tend to be, we think of when someone says, oh, he's Scottie Pippen, he needs Michael Jordan – that it's like the ultimate insult. And in some ways it can be, it depends on what that guy means by it. Um, it it's not, I, but there are some versions of it where it's like, 
Yeah, Scottie Pippen's a top 50 basketball player, a de- one of the greatest defensive players of our generation, of their generation, uh, a pretty fine scorer as well. But without Michael, who is going to take those flash shots? Who is going to close? And I think actually Scottie's a little underrated there, but I do see his point because I'm watching these games, right? And although Giannis should be changing the way that their defenses are diagrammed and manned up, he's really not because they just pack the paint. And he can't shoot enough to make them come out the paint. He can't make enough free throws to make it count to where if he barrels into people and gets layups at the end of the game, they foul him. He's not making free throws. So he is kind of at this point in his career. And we do it. We act like sometimes like he's going to like we did this with LeBron all the time. And I think Giannis is benefiting a little bit because LeBron's paved this way and we're not going to make those mistakes again is that we act like this is all he's ever going to be or like he's since he's flawed now. He's, you know, not going to be great overall. He'll never be Jordan or whatever. But, you know, there are some things that Giannis Antetokounmpo needs to work on. And y'all acknowledge it. I'm not saying y'all aren't acknowledging it. So I don't want to act like I'm completely, like, in the opposite realm of y'all. But I do think y'all gave Giannis a little bit of a pass because he has not been a good closer in this series. And it's because of the deficiencies that he lacks in his game. I actually think he has enough talent right now. I think he could use more, and I'm not going to begrudge him if he gets more. But if this Milwaukee team, I think, is good enough. If Giannis was a better basketball player, I think they could do this. But he's not a or 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 Chris Milton played better. I think they could do it. Yeah, so that's where I was kind of going to go with it because I agree. I actually do agree with everything you're saying there, Derek. But I will push back on one thing. You, if you're making the comparison, like I understand, and I and no disrespect to Scottie Pippen because yes, we all agree he's one of the best players of all time. It just so happens he was playing with Jordan, so he's always going to have that, that shadow lingering over him. But that's not a disrespect to say that somebody's as great as Pippen or they're Pippen-esque. But I think in this particular case, if you're saying that a man is not winning a basketball game because he's not got enough, and you compare him to Pippen, who is widely regarded as the lesser of the two, right. not that he's not great, but he's lesser of the two, that's right. shade. Like, I'm not going to be like, oh, Pippen's still a great player. No, nah, you would have said he was Jordan at that time that he needs a Pippen. Or something like that. That's all I'm saying with, with this specific issue. Like, he didn't say Pippen as a compliment. He said Pippen as yeah. in he needs he a He said, is Giannis a Pippen? So, but and I will, like Danny was saying, yeah. 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 And like Danny was saying, I, I, I just want to draw attention to it. The other reason that this personally, like, makes me mad that, that people would attack Giannis over this is that, yes, Giannis has had deficiencies in the series. And you're exactly right that when it's come down to it at the end, the fact that they're so woefully terrible in the fourth quarter is a big problem and that they're just not doing enough. Maybe he's gassed. Maybe he needs more help. But to point out Giannis as the problem when he's actually performing in his limited success, he's still putting up 22.7 a game, 13 rebounds a game, and he leads the team in assists with seven. That's too much to ask of him specifically. Like Daniel was saying, Chris Middleton is not doing really anything to help. And their third, uh, their fourth highest score is 12 points a game uh, wait, with wait, Eric Bledsoe. So, so what, do we, what do we need from Chris Middleton for him to be considered helping? Well, I don't want him to be Pippen or, or Jordan, like well, if that's the analogy we're doing. But he, somebody's got – well, Middleton's doing okay. I'm not going to say he's, like, Chris, useless. But he's Chris not Middleton a, is currently averaging, like, I think, like 10 or 11 points a game. They well, he's got 20 on the series. He has 20 on the series. Right. Middleton scored 28 in game one, 23 in game two, and 18 in game three, and he also had five, eight, seven assists. But that's also – like, I'm not going to – I'm going to throw a game one in that situation. But games two and three. That, that's, not no, that's not normal for him, though. That's an outlier for how he's playing. They need but, someone but, consistent all the time to play like that. They don't need but, someone who's going to be like – go ahead. We're saying, we're saying in this particular case – the woes against the Miami Heat, which they're getting – this is what prompted Richard Jefferson's take, right? So, like, we're right. talking about 
this specific series, and Chris Middleton is giving him help in this specific series, and they're still they almost okay. left. Okay, I, and you know, maybe I'm misspeaking here because I, I actually agree with you now that I'm thinking about what you're saying too. Middleton's not the problem. I don't want to say Middleton was the only problem, but I'm saying that that's that's it. Brooke Lopez is the third guy right now, and as much as I love Brooke Lopez, you don't consider him the third guy on a championship team necessarily. Mm-hmm. You'd consider him the big man, but he's currently being out-rebounded, out-performed in, in, in big man aspects by Giannis. So sure. at the end of the day, like, what is he doing other than providing a big body and getting free buckets, which he is. I'm just saying he needs so- more. So the reason why I'm saying Chris Middleton is because you have to look at it more than just one series. You look at it for the entire playoffs, look at it for the season as well. If Chris Middleton is dropping 20 points a game, then that's something that they expect to happen, and you can kind of model your game around, okay, I'm going to get 20 from Chris no matter what, so I can do something else. If you don't know he's going to give you 20 or if he's going to show up or not per game or per series, that makes it a lot harder for you as the star to know how to attack, how to force the game. Can I take my time? Can I be aggressive early? Um, can I pace myself? So you don't ever know because you don't know where the story is coming from. So that's why I'm saying you need him to be consistent, not just say, oh, he's playing good this one series. Like, okay, that's fine. But I don't know that I can count on you to drop, to drop 20 a game when I need you to all the time. And I have to be able to see that. I can't have it just one game, two games, four games. I need to have it all the time so I know who to depend on. And I can set up my offense, set up our mindset as a team for knowing who I can count on to give me these points. And they don't have that right now. And I will say the second unit is disastrously bad. If you're just looking at raw stats right now, Wesley Matthews is getting like 25 minutes a night and he's putting up five points. And I, I, I I get what you're saying about Chris Milton. They can definitely upgrade the second, the second star aspect. I'm not going to say this team has no room for growth outside of Giannis Antetokounmpo. Like he has the best possible team that can ever be constructed around him. And he's, he's losing with it. That's not, that's not what I'm trying to make. That's not the point I'm trying to make. At the same time, he's losing in the second round to a fifth-seeded Miami team. I think some of that falls on him in terms of what he can do to get better. If, if, if he were in the finals and we were seeing what Chris Milton would probably do because he is inconsistent, so maybe next series he would have been bad. This series he just happens not to be bad. I'm not trying to champion Chris Milton as, you know, some like this is all on Giannis this series because, you know, <laughs> the only reason they got past last series is because of Giannis and Chris was nowhere to be found. And I have the game logs for those too. So I'm not, I'm not trying to push back on that point really at all. I'm just saying that some of the deficiencies in Giannis's game that could make him, you know, top 10 ever type of player. If he had those fixed, maybe this is a team that rises above his station. Now there are other ways in which they could become a team that rise above their station. As Austin pointed out with the bench, as you pointed out with Chris Middleton, uh, you know, Brooke Lopez was – I think he's been good this series too, but in general, yeah, he's not your third banana, as Austin stated. So, like, there are other ways they can fix this team. So, that the point I was taking too, which is why I said I didn't want to push too yeah. too much – too hard against that. I think but, we just kind of got off on what it was originally I was trying to say or, like, anybody else was trying to say, specifically to the point about Giannis needing a number one or, cause, or whatever, like, that he needs more like that. To me, it just is upsetting when you point to Giannis and you call out Giannis. Not you specifically, but I'm talking about Richard Jefferson. When right now, at least statistically, obviously we know the results. They're not winning. And and the blame falls on your star. You know, if you're not winning, if you're not getting it done in the clutch, if you go four minutes without a bucket, you know, that falls on Giannis. But at the end of the day, for for Giannis to be performing so well, at least overall, it's disingenuous to say that Giannis can't excel when he's just getting no help at all. Right. And the plan is to win today. Yeah, they, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. they, they, they didn't get swept. Hey, don't get one swept. One thing man. I will say, one thing <laughs> I will overtime. say. They needed overtime to not get swept. Yeah, right? Oh, Lord. I'm, I'm kind of curious what this team looks like in the bubble with Brogdon. Um, yeah. 
I just feel like, and I, and this is not an argument for him being, you know, that guy necessarily that. So you're saying this is all on Brogdon. Obviously. <laughs> but, Brogdon is the top tier star. But, I, but sometimes <laughs> I think about, but, but, but when you think about what uh, Austin was saying earlier, it's like you have uh, some of the better teams in, in the history of this league um, have had a role player that has done certain things. Um, we saw the Spurs try start to go downhill when you saw that point where they didn't have that three-point guy um, or that the defensive specialist. Um, it's one thing to have a defensive mindset when you're on the court, but when you no longer had like a Bruce Bowen or when you had your three-point guy like, well, you know, like Bertans was supposed to be that guy in this current era. Or, and then or when Danny Green forgot how to shoot. Morris, and then, yeah, so now you what you have is you're not consistent from outside the arc in a league that unfortunately that's where it is now everything is you know like i think somebody made a statement about we 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 have perimeter players now we don't have point guards shooting guards small forward we have perimeter players and interior players and that's pretty much it now and so i think about a guy like brogdon who he may have been just a glue guy or a gel guy or just that guy that sort of tied everything together but he, we don't really talk about that dude because he really did make a difference on this team. And I'd be really curious to know what they'd be looking at like right now with him at point guard. Um, even if he was just coming off the bench, um, you know, cause maybe he could have shored that up like Austin was saying, and, and that could have been something that would have helped. But um, I'm also not real happy with coach buds. Uh, you know, that whole min- managing minutes game. That's what oh, you yeah. do. I, I get doing that with 35 plus year old players, but damn it. Giannis Antetokounmpo is <laughs> he this is a what what is he 23 24 like, like he's really young like he's this is a young oh yeah let them dudes play 35 40 minutes a game right now well, in the playoffs play. especially right yeah, yeah. so I don't think that's helping them at all and there's no there's no traveling either like bro right. you good right so <laughs> I don't think that's helping them at all and I think so I think there's a lot of other underlying things that are contributing to how bad they look right now today's game notwithstanding uh how bad they look right now against Miami I think there's other things contributing to that um not just the fact that you know he's not a a part of a tandem of two amazing top 50 players like I think it's you know there's some things that have changed since last season um that made you that make you understand that the progression that we thought we might see, you have to understand why that progression we thought we would see is not there. And a lot of it has to do with some of the changes that happened in the off season. So. And they just, whatever, for whatever reason, whatever you want to pinpoint it on, there's multiple ways you can slice it and dice it. The When it comes down to it in the fourth quarter, the Milwaukee Bucks really don't have a dude right now who can get them a bucket, like sure. just a bucket, like good defense is happening. And right. there's a dude who's just going to go out there and get a bucket. Um, Kawhi turned himself into a player who would just go out there and get you a bucket whenever you need it. And you see how that comes up. Uh, you know, Paul George has not been that guy historically throughout his career for whatever reason. He seems like a guy who could be that guy, but he's not. So, like, when it comes down to it, every team just – and whether that is a, a, an evolution in Chris Milton that just doesn't exist and so they need to upgrade that position, whether Giannis can add that to his game to where, you know, whether they're packing the paint or not, if I need a bucket – I'm, I'm going to get one from him, even if he's just improving his free throws enough to where if he attacks the basket and gets fouled, um, he's going to be able to make those 
free throw. So now that's kind of out of the equation. But for whatever reason right now, the Milwaukee Bucks don't have a dude who can get them a bucket. And I think when Richard Jefferson explained that, that his thought process at least made sense to me. Now, I still don't like the dichotomy of pushing it through Jordan and Pippen because too often than not, that is a, an insulting type thing. And we do all this stuff with who's going to be Jordan and you have to be this certain killer and you have to shoot mid-range jumpers and shit. And I don't like to deal with all that shit. Like LeBron James has been a killer for the majority of the second half of his career. And he did it by going and get layup, going and getting layups. <laughs> now, did he improve his shot so he could go and get layups? He did. But he's still in the in the crunch time of the game. He's going and getting layups because he's a big fucking dude. Um, Giannis can be that too, but he has to improve his jump shot enough to where he has the leeway to be able to to make defenders come out on him in space. And he can, he can. Yeah, and LeBron didn't take you kind of to being being dragged into this conversation either. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. I was every time I'm out. They pull me back in. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, keep, keep my name out your fucking mouth. But yeah, no, yeah. On, on the note yeah, of LeBron, though, I, every time I see the stat lines, I'm like, how the fuck is LeBron still putting up 30, 10, and 10? Like, it don't make uh, sense. Uh, the way he's dunking on everybody, I'm like, Jesus. Don't you, know, don't you know that Anthony Davis is carrying the Lakers now? Yeah, that too. But I'm not even going to get into that nonsense. I'm just continue to be like, I feel like eventually he's got a crack, right? Like, it's got to be a spot. But it, I mean, Shit, man, he's what twelve years older than Giannis. <laughs> like, to your, to your yeah. point, fifteen years I, older. I actually had a little bit more of a problem with Jay Williams' statement, where he just recklessly threw out LeBron James. Yeah, yeah. He was like, so LeBron was a Pippen with a D Wade once. Nothing wrong with that until you get over the hump. <laughs> what? <laughs> that made no sense. I was like, what are you talking? <laughs> what are you talking about? I was like, the reason they got over the hump is because Eric Spoelstra realized, you know what? Maybe I just make the whole offense revolve around LeBron James. <laughs> like, who knew? <laughs> who knew? <laughs> Letting the best basketball player in the world cook was the solution to all your Yeah, problems. let me let me let me use my 6'8 point guard. Let me let him rock. <laughs> <laughs> like, I shouldn't be alternating possessions between LeBron James and Dwayne Wade, who wants to shoot like 18 footers. <laughs> yeah, especially because yeah. at the end of the day, they didn't really have any egos that needed managed. They all got along, so it's like, all right, fuck it, just let LeBron hoop. Poor Chris Boston, man. Damn. Oh, yeah. But, off, but I'm so glad he got all his success because he, he earned that yeah. success. So. Well, well, no, also anymore, they kind of they dimmed his star, him being around those two, though, even yeah. when like, he was healthy and playing. Well, he's one of those that, like, historic history would probably not look too kindly on him, but if, if, if people who remember him. He playing, has a zero-point game in, like, game seven of the NBA Finals, man. Right. That's not going to be how many, how many rings, though? <laughs> dude was a dude was a beast in Toronto, man. Yeah, yeah. I, that's what I'm saying. Most people will remember that he was still hooping. It's just he chose not to. Then he had health uh, issues. Honestly, his defensive contributions are were invaluable to that team and letting them play small ball and letting them play yeah. small as small as possible. But like, it's still sometimes he came up so small. <laughs> like it's just like <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but it's just funny. People like at least will will remember like a Rashard Lewis is like oh this was an elite wing four and everything like that. It's like, response is just better, man. <laughs> it's just better. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Y'all ready to switch it up, man? Let's Got some go. football for you. Oh, wow. All right. So for this, next, this next one. Nah, yeah, he's, he doesn't want to come out here no more. Uh, <laughs> he's only nah. oh, his, his own pot. <laughs> so this next one comes to us from Bayou Baby. <laughs> Bayou Baby writes, what's good, big dogs? The Jacks cut my boy Leonard. Dude is a monster, so not Daniel, sure what they are Daniel, doing. Wait, Daniel, uh -huh. Is that how you said it? Just like that? 
What's up, big dog? Uh, what up, big dog? I'm assuming not, but I don't. I don't want to put anything on him. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to put no accents and stuff. I'm just reading it. I'm just reading it like the, the King's English. You know what I'm saying? So I don't want to no What's assumptions up, or anything. Dog? No stereotypes. No stereotypes. So as he says, "What's good, big dogs?" The Jags cut my boy Leonard due due to the monsters. Not sure what they are doing. How do y'all feel about this move and the moves the Jags have been making? Much love, by you, baby. Uh, tank, 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 tank. <laughs> tank, 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 tank. <laughs> Somebody get Byron Scott. <laughs> Come on, Trevor, Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> Fall from the sky into our laps. We messed up this Blake Bortles thing, but we we're not gonna mess it up with you, Trevor. <laughs> come, come hither. I, I'm there it more, is. I'm more there interested in this from the Tampa Bay standpoint, honestly, than the Jaguar standpoint. I mean, we know what the Jaguars about. They about that tank life, baby. Yeah. Uh, interesting. The, the Buccaneers are just amassing options. Uh, it's the Tampa Bay Super Friends, man. That's what it is. <laughs> Anybody that has, has had a big name at some point in time, either in college or in the league, they're putting on that one team to make a run for the championship. My favorite story, I, not to get too off topic, my favorite story is when they were trying out uh, uh, Gronk, and they're like, who, Gronk ain't ready. <laughs> it's like, whatever. <laughs> He's still with the team. <laughs> but were, all, all those reports were like, Gronk is not in shape. <laughs> wow. Uh, screw, screw it. <laughs> Because um, I think that, and they they recently signed Josh Rosen too. So it was like, yeah. Yeah, whoever had a name at some point on the squad. You know what? I really, if we're looking at just Fournette, last year was not a good look for him in Jacksonville. I think he had a time frame, and I'm trying to recall, but I know there was a time frame where um, did did he not was he was he not suspended or something of that nature. At some point last season, it, it was just obvious that he wasn't long for for Jacksonville. Like it, it was the the writing was on the wall. I don't think the guy wanted to be in Jacksonville. He made it, you know, he had made it pretty clear last year with some of his antics and some of the stuff that was going on last year. Um, and so for him to end up in Tampa, I mean, for him, I suppose it makes sense. You know, you stay in Florida. You obviously, you know. I'm going to assume maybe, you know, he likes it there. I'm, I'm acting as if he had a choice to go to Tampa. Tampa just sort of picked him up off waivers. But that He's being excited, said, though. He is excited. Yeah, but, I mean, he's excited about it. So, it seems to me like he really wants to be in Florida. Um, he's an LSU guy. I'm not – I apologize. I'm not sure where he's from. But I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he's from that part, you know, that region of the country. Um, but, I mean, just looking at it all in all, if he's happy with where he is and you know what um, – if it turns out that it's going to rejuvenate his short career to this point and, and he's playing alongside a guy like Tom Brady and, and you look at their level of professionalism he brings, um, you know, then, hey, man, I'm all for it. Uh, I hope it works out for him. Um, and, uh, I mean, they still ain't beating the New Orleans Saints and, and, and winning that division. But, shit, I mean, you know, you got to do what you got to do to put the right team in front of you. Sucks for Ronald Jones a second, though. I was going to say, so when he was uh, announced as a signee, even though I don't think it's even been officially yet, but, I mean, it's, it's done. Anyways, when he was announced for it, he posted a mock-up of him in a, a Bucks uniform um, with, like, the the, 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 right, the Buccaneer ships in the background. Like, it was, like, some badass-looking photo of him, like, holding the ball. But his yeah. number's 27, and that's the same number as Ronald Jones. <laughs> so, yeah. like, if I'm, if I'm Ronald Jones, it's like, yo. I like that, bro. <laughs> yeah, I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm like, the hell, bro? You want that, though. Like I know he probably didn't mean nothing by it, but it is funny because it's like wearing the exact same number. It's like, man, fuck you. <laughs> like, you can't just give me my number. 
Yeah. yeah um, like Terrell was saying, the writing's on the wall that at some point he was going to be he was going to leave because they didn't pick up his fifth year option. You know, from when they had drafted him in the first round, so he had one year left. I think it was like about four or five mil. Uh, it's still surprising though because you know it's a first round draft pick. You just want to get something out of him. He's still he's still pretty young. You know, he's had uh, some injury troubles. He's still a young running back. Um, this kind of speaks to though something that's going on in Jacksonville because it's like this max exodus of players who are leaving with the quickness, right? And happy every time someone. Yeah, very happy. Every time someone leaves, like, yeah, you know, I'm glad I'm anywhere but there. Or there's demand to get traded or demand to get released or something's They're going on. They're not glad to kicking and screaming from Jacksonville. No. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it, even though they had that level of uh, where they were winning, that's why that one year where they almost made that run. Um, but since then, it's been downhill. And since then, everybody's been trying to, you know, abandon ship. Um, like something's going on. So I really don't know. Uh, if it's, if it's, Tampa Bay. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so I don't know if it's either just, you know, the management, the coaching, some type of culture or something's going on there to where whoever goes there and is a talented player, they're there for a little bit and then they get the hell out of there as quick as possible. So something is going on. Um, we actually did this on the other show. I want to get to y'all as well. Kind of give a rundown of the talent that they had accumulated. Um, so I, I want to go down. I was actually just about to bring that up. You can hear what Dan had talked about on Trey Blanco's podcast and grill every Fridays. And they've already discussed this. And I wanted to bring it to this podcast because Jacksonville is burning through first round talent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I had a list here. Well, actually, we'll start um, in 2011 uh, with, you know, the, the amazing Blaine Gabbert. And we'll work right back from there. So 2011, first round draft date, Blaine Gabbert. 2012, Ooh. Justin Blackman. 2013. Ooh. Luke Jokel, Ooh. 2014, Blake Bortles, Ooh. 2015, Dante Fowler Jr., Ooh. 2016, Jalen Ramsey, Ooh. 2017, Leonard Fournette, yeah. 2018, Taven Bryant, he's a DT out of Florida, he's talented, uh, 2019, Josh Allen from Kentucky, and then this past year, they had two first-round draft picks, C.J. Henderson and Clavon Chason. So, you can't wait for aside that. from... Yeah. So aside from, from some of the ones that are obvious, but they actually have, you know, been accumulating some talent. They can find talent when kind of throughout the duration of the, the draft or trading team and such. And at some point they do play well, but they never end up staying. So, yeah. I mean, so, yeah, that, it, it's that, a strange situation. Well get up out of there. That Blaine yeah. Gabbert, Luke Jokel, Justin Blackman trifecta of pain is, is ooh, that's three ooh, straight. Ooh. Right. Yeah. I, especially dark, dark when you days. consider what, if you look at what they were expected to be, you know, that if you go off of the expectations when those guys were drafted, you know, we're probably looking at the next great dynasty right now if it worked out that way, but it really did not. <laughs> so, yeah, at, at least uh, in quarterback, yeah. you can kind of see where it's coming from, but Justin Blackman's the one that's kind of shocking where it's like, you know, that would seem like a. Yeah, a, because he really did look like the real deal. He really looked like. Yeah. Deal. The funny thing to me is them, like, kind of, I don't know, quote-unquote, wasting a first-round pick on Leonard Fournette, but then actually making it work because they had a Super Bowl-caliber team. Right. But that's really the only reason you should ever draft a running back that high. Yeah. Yeah. If you're a teammate team and you're ready to go and you just kind of had, like, an off season, But, right. <laughs> like, it's like they actually somehow made it work and then ended up not making it work. By the way, Leonard Fournette was good last year, over 1,000 yards rushing. That's what I'm going to say. So, like, what's confusing about selling them out now, like getting rid of them now, is that, you know, at the very least, you would think from a pure business standpoint, you would let this man ride one more year. Like, right. at least you can make your coach's job easier. You know you have a tangible running back 
He's guaranteed well, to get you what you that's need. That's the thing, Austin. They don't want to make their coach's job easy. But that's what – it's just confusing. <laughs> it's, like, baffling because the brutal truth is they don't respect running backs in the league generally. Like, they're workhorses. They're designed to get out there, keep the ball moving, keep getting their ass whooped, and then eventually their shelf life's over. So you would think, at least from, like, a business standpoint, like a, a cruel standpoint, you would want this man to be your running back knowing full well you're going to ditch him next year. If Leonard Fournette can even win a game, that's a game that they want to jettison. That's, I mean, and you're right. That's that too. Like, it's hard to justify it any other way. You know, it also hurts them from the optics standpoint as well because people, you know, as Twitter and the what and the internet does, they kind of went back and searched about that draft that Leonard Fournette was taking in. He's taking fourth overall. Um, so you want to hear who they passed on. Uh, to take Leonard Fournette. Let's go ahead and give him a quick rundown. Oh, no. Oh, no. So, so a, a, few na- a few names stand out. So, included in this draft was a one Mr. Christian McCaffrey, mm. taken in the first round, and then number eight. Um, Dalvin Cook, he actually went in the second round. Um, but even more importantly, because if you remember those quarterbacks you had mentioned, you know, Blaine Gabbard and such and, 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 and the like. Oh, don't say Lamar um, Jackson. All- <laughs> no, so actually, in, in this draft was a one Mr. Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun oh, Watson. Oh, so no. if if you if you remember at the time they were a very talented team they just needed a quarterback and they decided let's get, get us a running back and not a quarterback. Ooh. Now hindsight is always twenty twenty, but it makes it look that much worse when it's like yo, I got, <laughs> what they're trying blame. to do because of the glaring. Man, I don't need Patrick Mahomes. And these are two quarterbacks yeah. that are now <laughs> locked up. First <laughs> like of all, my Niners <laughs> passed on them too, and we learned the hard way in the Super Bowl that that was mm. a bad move. Uh, I was going to say, uh, in regard, oh, I, I already dropped my trailer. I thought that we were talking about uh, Fournette, though, leaving and, and going there. The one that stood out to me as, like, a problem in Jacksonville was that lineman who was very public about how little he wanted to be in Jacksonville when they finally got rid of him yeah. because he, he, like, very publicly told the story about He's like, I was driving to the arena one day, and he's like, I just pulled the car over, and I called my wife, and I was like, I don't want to go. <laughs> he's like, I don't want to go to my job. What? You don't remember? Yeah, so when they cut this dude, he was tell- he was talking about it. He was, like, so happy to be out of there because he's like, I was so unhappy. Like, I literally thought about ending my NFL career rather than continue with Jacksonville. And I'm going to look up what? who it was right now because that shit was you – know, it was so funny to me when I was reading because I was like, man, he, he, he was like, I'm going to quit. He wanted Devontae Davis them, them dudes, man. <laughs> <laughs> At halftime. I, I don't want none of it. Ah, bro, you ain't in me no more. I'm retired. None of it. It's like, but, but it's halftime. I'm retired, dog. Nah, bro. <laughs> I, I love the stories about that where they're like, Vontae was coming up to people in the locker room at halftime and being like, all right, it was nice playing with you. And they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Just dapping them up. All right, man. They say, up, bro. Say, up, bro. Say, up, homie. Right, what are you, what are you, we about to go warm up, bro. What are you talking about? Nah, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, me and Wiss is going to Red Lobster in second here, you know what I'm saying? Just want to say y'all bye, you know what I'm saying, y'all? Not, Much love, Vontae out. You know, what, you know what I don't remember? What I don't remember from that game, was it an away game or a home game? Because if it was an away game, to me, it's even funnier. He's like, no, yo, Uber, pick me up. Buffalo. <laughs> It was an away game. That man's got to call an Uber. That fool's buying a plane ticket like, on, his, on his phone. <laughs> Come get a speech and stuff. Like, yeah, I'm getting the hell out of here. <laughs> All right, yo. <laughs> Did you find oh, that lineman, Austin? Oh, I gave up. I was laughing at the oh, okay. story, so, yeah. It's all good. They, they got Google, too. <laughs> Put some on the, on, the, on, the, on the people. But, right, yeah, so next one, y'all, we're actually going back to basketball to wrap it up, if that's cool with y'all. Yeah, yeah, So the next one actually comes from um, 
Jack the Bully. So Jack the Bully writes, hello, first time writing in, long time weekend taker. I saw that unfortunately the great John Thompson recently passed away. Uh, I would appreciate it if the pot could take a little bit of time and speak on what he meant to basketball, especially college basketball. Keep up the good work. Jack the Bully. I don't want to hate on Jack the Bully at all, but a long time listener, man. I'm not even a long time listener of this show because it's only been on the – it hasn't even been a year yet, Doug. He said long time weekend taker, so take that for what it means. It takes the weekend. What, yeah. Carpe weekend. So I guess he, <laughs> we, got a, we, we, got a, we got a fan group, man. We got like a hive now going. Weekend takers. Weekend, the weekend, take, weekend takers. Yeah. You should call them the weekenders. Anyway, um, that's neither here nor there. Uh, we get sued. Thompson, John Thompson for me, man, um, the first thing that comes to mind when I think about John Thompson is I think about all the players that shaped, like, my understanding and learning and, and, and developing love of basketball when I was young. Because, you know, I think about guys like Patrick Ewing. I think about Alonzo Mourning, uh, specifically Allen Iverson. Um, I, you know, that's just the top three, just right off the top of my head. And I think about those guys because every last one of them had, like, a regard for him that I don't know that I've seen. I mean, you hear players talk about how great coaches were for them and their development, you know, as young players. But I don't know that you really heard the kind of glowing praise from a player, specifically Allen Iverson, uh, when it came to a particular coach. And that's what you got with John Thompson. I mean, we've all heard the quote basically that Allen Iverson said that John Thompson saved his life. Um, and when you, when you listen and you read about or listen to anything that, you know, Allen Iverson's done, you know, doc, you know, I don't know, documentaries or, you know, he's talked about like the things he was into and the things that he was doing as a young kid, you know, coming up in Virginia and how he honestly shouldn't have been, shouldn't have made it to where he got. Um, and John Thompson was the reason why. So when I think about John Thompson passing away, I immediately go back to growing up in the nineties, watching basketball and those guys that graced the league and made a big difference in the league over the course of, you know, 20 to 25 years. When you start with Patrick Ewing in the eighties and you, you move on through uh, Alonzo Mourning in the nineties and even into the early two thousands with, uh, with Allen Iverson, you think about that. And that to me is, is, a big part of his legacy because obviously there were hundreds of others, other players, but just the fact that when you look at the players that affected the culture, uh, black culture, basketball culture, uh, dudes walking around wearing Georgetown gear. I mean, you think about that over the last 25, 30 years, there's none of that. I don't think without John Thompson. So um, that's really my thoughts on him. And, you know, Hope he rests in power, man, because that, that guy right there made a huge difference uh, to NBA basketball, even though he never coached in the NBA and uh, college basketball as a whole. So, Yeah, I think it's interesting because uh, Terrell probably has a different frame of reference than he, than me and, and Austin and Daniel because you're, you're of a different era. Uh, not that, you know, John Thompson's uh, resume speaks for itself, and I, you know, you, you did a pretty good job of listing off his coaching resume as well, why he's uh, 
one of the greats to do it. But me and Daniel probably know more for what his work on uh, on TNT because he was actually really good in that second career as well as an interviewer. Um, and me and Daniel still quote a line from one of his one of his interviews. That's, I don't know how famous it is, honestly. It's just one that sticks for me and Daniel where uh, he's interviewing KG and KG says at the time between that Boston and that that uh, uh, and the Timberwolves time point, KG was like, I'm, I'm loose. <laughs> I'm loose. Like, I'm loose. It's funny just because of the way KG is so emotive, but John Thompson was really pulling out some emotion out of KG that, you know, that's the dream. When you're an interviewer, to get that kind of a reaction from someone you're interviewing, uh, that kind of pure emotion is is amazing. And that's kind of what he brought to TNT in its early days. You know, Kenny, Shaq, excuse me, Kenny, uh, Ernie, and uh, Charles get a lot of credit for the early days of TNT, but really Cheryl Miller and John Thompson were in that as well, uh, making TNT what it is. So, you know, his coaching resume speaks for itself, but even his second career – in, in the in the broadcast booth, uh, kind of in the early days of TNT, is excellent as well. And that's kind of how younger guys kind of know him and then kind of go back and learn what he means. I mean, Terrell said it. When you talk about black excellence, he's among the first to really put it in the forefront um, of college basketball. Like, this is what we're about, and this is, you know, who we're going to be about and gave black people something to really, really root for at a time when it wasn't common to do that. Uh, so... Yeah, I, I, to, I mean, I'll be honest. I don't know too much about his professional career outside of, of course, Georgetown and, and everything that he meant to everybody coming up through Georgetown, which is a huge basketball tradition. Um, but I, a couple of things that always stood out to me was that, you know, A, he is directly tied into the, the future of, of Patrick Ewing and, and, and so on and so forth. Like, he, he is that guy that is the rock, the foundation of, of so many NBA players who have passed through college. Um, and, and he's one of those guys who, who has his hands farther than just Georgetown. Like he has his hands around the NBA. He has his hands around college basketball. Um, and that, that power, that, that knowledge, that loss is, is pretty big. Um, not to detract, but same with Lute Olson who just passed away. You know, it's, it's that, that feeling of somebody that was like really important that's just not there anymore. There's no more knowledge to drop from him yeah. and, and what have you. Uh, but two things I, I found kind of interesting while, while learning a little bit more about him. Um, one that was like mildly impressive to me. I want to say mildly, it's a huge prestigious honor, but he was uh, head coach for team USA in 1988 um, before team USA took over. <laughs> but you know, that's a big prestigious honor, you know, as, as a head coach, as a, as a black coach to be tasked with leading NBA team USA, NBA basketball big honor um but two the one that was really shocking to me did y'all know he was supposed to be in a flight in one of the the flights from 9-11 so he was scheduled to be on a flight yeah because i found this out that was it was interesting he was actually going to be flying from dc to los angeles to make an appearance on the jim rome show Um, it was the american airlines flight 77 but before he got on the flight jim rome's producer called and said hey we've had a scheduling issue we need you to fly out a day later and he wasn't on the flight. Mm. So it's just kind of like crazy that, you know, he he was almost involved in that. Jim Rome yeah. out here saving lives. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just crazy to, to think about that. But Damn. it's just a, a weird a weird thing that came up while people were remembering him. I was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and for me, I'm pretty similar to kind of how uh, Derek and Austin were going about it. Um, not too well versed in, in most of his past. Um, I was more introduced to him more because of, like we are saying, Allen Iverson, Patrick Ewing and such, uh, what he was doing at Georgetown um, l- later on. 
Um, but just doing just a, a quick search about him, you kind of realize that he was more than just a great coach. He actually did like a, a trailblazer and actually had a lived a full life in terms of things he's accomplished. Um, so just like a couple of things that I saw on here was um, he was the, the first black coach to lead a team to an NCAA championship. And I was like, what in the world? Um, he actually won two titles as an NBA player. Um, so he's won a title in the NBA, in the NBA and also in, in the college realm as well. And then one thing that stands out, if you know anything about him, is also his demeanor um, in terms of he's really more like a old school, no nonsense type dude. Right. So I actually found, found this little quote here, actually an article that was written about him at the FBA pass um, on The Ringer. Um, so let me read a little excerpt for you. So it said that pull it up here. Daniel Davidson. Yeah, and 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 in April 1984, when a reporter asked him how it felt to become the first black coach to win the NCAA tournament championship, he took issue with the question. He was quoted as saying, "I'm not interested in being the first or only black to do anything." He said because it implies that in 1984, a black man finally became intelligent enough to win the NCAA title, and that's a very misleading thing. No. <laughs> so, true to force. I, I could only presume the reporter was like, uh, "Okay, yeah, he's like, uh, damn." <laughs> so, I mean, he, he told it how it is. He kept it real. Um, he he kind of got some some backlash later on because of some stuff he said could take some hard stance on on things. But you have to kind of commend him though for kind of sticking to his guns, uh, for being kind of that pillar in the community in terms of where people, a lot of players will go back and, and speak with him. Um, like we had mentioned many times that, you know, Alan Iverson credits him with kind of saving his life. But he did that with more than just Alan Iverson um, because the way he approached things in terms of coaching was more than just about teaching the game or getting them to the next level. It was about also improving them as young men as well, which is something that he believed in, you know, till the day he died. So uh, it, it, it is a, a huge loss. Uh, I think one more that maybe now we should speak on it more, maybe get some more documents about him so we can learn more about, especially about the kids nowadays. Um, because even for myself, I knew some stuff about him, but reading more about it, he actually is someone that we need to highlight more. I think things we currently are doing had been done before. So I think it'd be good for me, like a documentary or something about him at some point to come up. Thirty for thirty, get to work. <laughs> so I think that's uh, that's it on that. Rest in peace, John Thompson. Uh, hey, real quick, uh, real quick. Um, because I, I kind of had a feeling that John Thompson, John Thompson would be the last uh, uh, item we took from the mailbag today. Um, Lou Brock just passed away today. 19-year um, MLB career, uh, two-time champ, and uh, two-time yeah. World Series champ. And he passed it away, away literally while we were doing the show here um, oh, wow. at age 81. Uh, so, I mean... So, I was one of the, you know, he was kind of the, he, he was kind of Ricky Henderson before Ricky Henderson kind of a thing. So, uh, you know, St. Louis Cardinals family, um, his family, um, you know, hey man, uh, shout out six, to them. Six-time All-Star, two-time World Series champ, 3,000 hits, and almost 1,000 stolen bases. Yes, sir. So, and uh, I'm not sure if we touched on this on, on the pod before, but do you also mention that um, Clifford Robson had passed away? Do we mention on the pod yet? No, we had we hadn't we hadn't mentioned that Clifford Clifford Robinson. Oh, Clifford Robinson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it got kind of caught up in uh, T'Challa. <laughs> we yeah. got kind of caught yeah. up. Yeah, Chadwick Boseman passing away, and we totally, you know. Yeah, there's, 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 there's been quite a f- there's been quite a few sports deaths recently here. It's you know sad. Obviously, you never want to lose anybody, but uh, so you know, good point. These rest in peace to Cliff Robinson. Uh, Clifford Robinson. 
unfortunately, of Jordan fame. This is what people really knew him for. But he was a great player. And so he really – one of the original stretch fours, man. He kind of, yeah. before that was actually popular, people who even like four shooting threes, that's what we're jacking, you're jacking them up. So he didn't care. Uh, 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 it's ironic because he's for the Trailblazers, but honestly, a true Trailblazer and really doesn't get enough credit for like being able to be a stretch four and defend and do all that kind of stuff. Um, because he just so happened to go up against Jordan in the finals and got the classic against him. And so that kind of became his legacy, unfortunately. But uh, a really good player, uh, like you said, pioneer. Um, so rest in peace to Clifford Robinson, rest in peace to Lou Brock, rest in peace to Lou Olson, rest in peace to John Thompson. Um, obviously, you all will be missing. You gave more to sports than we could have ever given back to you, honestly. Um, anything else you guys want to bring up while the, the floor is open or are you all good for the week? Because we're going to be gone a whole week. Speak now. I'll hold your peace. <laughs> <laughs> nah, they were good, man. All right. For Daniel Danson. Yes, sir. Austin Brazil. Yo. Terrell Huff. Indeed, sir. Support the arts because we are the arts. I am D.R. Lewis. The third. Not the third. We'll, we'll work it out in the in the uh we'll work it out in the pre-show meeting next week. <laughs> we'll work it out in post. Yeah, yeah post. We'll work it out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll add that later. <laughs> in the in the meantime, uh don't don't do anything we wouldn't do. Uh, just kidding to everything we wouldn't do. Peace out. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>